You want to go to that retreat, right? Yeah, I think we all want to be there. Hey, it's been great to uh, have Randy with us this morning. He's been here this weekend. We took him out last night and uh, had some great Giordano's pizza, sort of introduced him to Chicago pizza. I think he liked it, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to ask Randy to come up for just a second and say a quick hello and maybe just a word or two about himself to us. Uh, of course, we've been praying together for God's leadership in the next worship pastor of our church, and Randy's praying, so we're all praying together to see what God might put together. So, Randy, say a little bit. All right. Um, like he said, my name is Randy Blankenship. I'm originally from uh, Indiana, so the Kokomo area. It's about an hour north of Indianapolis, about three hours away from here. Um, I... You know, I got connected with you um, probably three months ago. About three months ago, yeah, and we we started talking um, over Skype, and uh, I visited a a few weeks ago here just to meet the team and some different people, and um, it's it's been great getting to meet everyone, and uh, it's it's seems like a great church, and you know, we're just continuing to pray that um, God would lead us both on the right path, whether that be on the same one or whether that might be something different. As long as we're in His will, that's what matters. So. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. You, Thanks. It's great to have Randy. Yep. And Randy will be out in the uh, lobby after the service. That you can have a chance to visit with him a little bit, talk with him. Uh, and we have taken a little bit more time this morning, as you can tell, to share uh, what's starting up here in the fall as we get rolling. Uh, and, and you can tell that, you know, I'm in, all right? Uh, and I, I profoundly believe that a church is more than people who attend once a week. I believe a church is a family of brothers and sisters whose lives connect with each other. And we do encourage and, and live life together and serve Christ together. And then we together make a difference in our world. And that's really what this uh, new series that we're just going to jump into here this morning. It's a three-week series, and we're really going to be talking about finding our identity, where that identity is anchored, both personally and as a church family, and then what is our identity as Christ followers in the world. So we're going to be looking at this whole issue of identity. And to do that... We're going to use a very, very familiar picture that we use frequently here at Calvary Church because it so well portrays us as human beings. And that's this picture of an iceberg. And of course, 10% of an iceberg is above the surface. And that represents our public self, this life that we show everybody, others around us above the surface. But 90% of an iceberg is hidden underneath the surface. And that represents the 90% of our lives that nobody sees. It's, it's buried. It's, it's layer after layer, down to the bottom of the iceberg. Our private self. But the fact is, okay, the person that we are above the waterline, the statement we're making to the world is, this is who I am. But who we are above that waterline has everything to do, in fact, is shaped by how we answer the question deep underneath the surface. And that question is, who am I? The way we answer that, the answer we put in the dotted line, that shapes who we are. 
So all of us, either consciously or unconsciously, when we get down to the deepest bottom of that iceberg, that's where we find what we're going to be calling our core identity. What's the definition for core identity? Well, it's what most defines you. It's the one thing that is deepest in you that really glues the rest of the pieces of you together. It's where you find your fulfillment. It's, it's the thing that gives you your meaning in this world. And a lot of us, you know, all of us, either consciously or unconsciously, every single one of us in here has established a core identity. Whether we can identify it, whether we know what it is or not, it's there. The reason for that is this. None of us can live our lives very well at all if they're all broken up in disjointed pieces. We can't live like that. So all of us, we seek to glue our lives, the pieces, we try to glue it into something that integrates us. So that becomes our core identity. That becomes our self-image. That becomes what we call our self-worth or our dignity as a person. It's the way we find acceptance with other people in the world. So I'm, I'm just taking a moment to expound on this because that core identity is what we wrap our whole self around, and then we protect it. We protect it very, very much. Whenever someone above the surface doesn't accept us for who we are, what happens? Right away, there is this stabbing, piercing pain that shoots all the way from the surface, all the way down to the bottom of that iceberg, to, to our core identity, and we feel assaulted, we feel attacked, we feel diminished and devalued because we weren't accepted. So this core value thing, this, this core identity thing, it's really, really important to us. But here's something else that's important. To be sure that that core identity that we have set in place is one that is adequate, one that is healthy. Because if it is inadequate and if it's unhealthy, then we're all, then we're in big trouble. Because it's, it won't bear the weight of all the pressure that this world's going to bring to it. And it's fragile. And, and somewhere along the line, it's going to come apart. It'll fall apart. Um, here's some examples of some of the core identities that people used to try to glue their lives together. Just take a quick look. I think they should be on the screen popping up there. Very quickly, there's work. Some people try to build their lives around their intellect, power, popularity. A couple negative ones, bitterness, hatred, sports, hobby, race, money, sexuality. And all of those things, except the two negative ones, those are all good things. But are any of those adequate for, to be your core identity? No, they're not adequate. Uh, and, and here's why. Because if, you, if we take any one of those things and make that the, the thing that most defines us, here's what they all lead to, one by one. If we make work the center, it leads to workaholism. It takes over our life. If we make intellect every, the, the, the self-definition, it leads to pride. Power leads to corruption. 
Popularity leads to shallowness. Bitterness obviously leads to self-destruction. Hatred leads to other destruction. Sports leads to Sports becomes an addiction if it's the center of your life. I mean, it's okay to be a Bears fan, but not to be a Bears addict, okay? Uh, When I was a kid, between the ages of about 10 and 16, I loved baseball. In fact, I, I more than loved baseball. Baseball really was the center of my life for those six years. Whenever my parents wanted to take us on vacation during the summer, I would flat out rebel. I would not miss a game. I wouldn't even miss a practice. I loved the game. Roberto Clemente was my hero. Uh, I, when I was supposed to be studying in the winter, t- I mean, I, I loved baseball not only in the summer in baseball season, I loved it in the wintertime. And so I would spend a lot of time in study halls drawing and redrawing the perfect baseball diamond. Two scale, dimensions, dugouts, pitching mound, everything. I, I just loved the game. My friends and I, my two brothers and one of our friends, we built our own baseball field on one of my dad's, you know, fields. It had 200-foot fence, uh, had pitcher's mound, backstop, one dugout. We put, uh, used dad's fertilizer to make baseline. <laughs> I mean, I was obsessed with the game. And uh, I finally had to come into balance with that. So anyway, but you can get obsessed with sports. That's true. But sports is a good thing. Hobbies can be an obsession. Race can turn into racism. Money can turn into materialism. And sexuality, man, that can turn into huge confusion and just sort of disintegrate a whole society if that's made to be the center of who we are. Now, uh, none of those were ever intended to be that core identity. But I would like to take one of those for just a few moments to uh, one of them that, that is very commonly taken in our society today as sort of the, the deepest thing about our humanity. I'd like us to look at that for just a second to make this point. Uh, and I'd like to choose off that list sexuality. Uh, and it's understandable, isn't it? When we look deep inside of ourselves, is there anything on that list of things I, that was on the screen a moment ago that seems to be more deep and more powerful than our sexuality as human beings. I mean, it, it, penetrates, it penetrates our beings. And many would say today that it really is the deepest part of who we are. It defines us as persons. Uh, and so what do we do? We wrap our whole identity, we wrap our whole self-image and our whole self-worth around our definition, the definition of our sexuality. We see it as the way to personal fulfillment, to, the way to, to happiness. But the question before us is, is that an adequate core identity? Well, I want to come to Jesus. He talked about that an awful lot, about our core identity. And the thing about Jesus is he, he also demonstrated in the way he lived his life the answer to this question. First, who did Jesus say he was? Well, there's two titles that Jesus took to himself fairly often. He said, I'm the son of God and I'm the son of man. What he was saying was he was the eternal God who took on humanity, flesh and bone, and he came and lived among us in order to show us what original humanity was to look like. 
If the fall hadn't occurred, if sin hadn't come in, Jesus came to show us in those three years he lived what a, what a human life looked like. I want us to look at his human side for just a moment. He was fully human and fully God. First of all, uh, Jesus was a male. And Jesus had male hormones. And around the age of 13, we ne- probably never think about this about Jesus, but Jesus went through puberty just like any other 13-year-old. And when he went through puberty, Jesus' sexuality, all those hormones, they started bouncing off the walls like they do in puberty. Uh, and Jesus, uh, since he was the perfect unfallen human being, the force of sexuality in his being exceeded what any other human beings has ever been. He was unfallen, perfect humanity. And he had a very, very strong sexuality. But here's the thing about Jesus that would be really puzzling to our 21st century. (laughs) That is, he remains a single adult all of his 33 years of life. And so a lot of people in our society today would probably think about that and say, wow, I I really feel sorry for him. Jesus really missed out. I, what a poor guy here. Uh, I mean, it's sad. He, so deficient. What an unfulfilled, frustrated life Jesus Christ must have lived. And then what did he do with all that sexual energy? What did Jesus do with all that? Was he ever tempted sexually? Well, the Bible says he was. Scripture in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4.15 says that Jesus Christ, when he was here, <clears throat> he was tempted at every point that any of you and I are ever tempted. And yet it adds this one little phrase, yet without sin. He never caved in, but he understood the temptation. Why didn't Jesus get married? Why didn't he do that? He wasn't against marriage. He teaches a lot about the beauty of marriage. Well, the calling and the mission that God had for Jesus as the Savior of the world, it just wasn't part of the picture for Jesus to be married. So how did Jesus manage those strong sex drives that he had? There's only one way he could have done that, and that is this, that his core identity was not rooted in his sexuality but in a much, much deeper place inside of him. And we're going to come back and talk about what that is in just a moment. But before we go any further, I I want to make sure I'm not being misunderstood here this morning. I'm not diminishing sex. Sex is really, really important. In fact, it's one of the most powerful gifts that God has put inside human beings. But when God gave us that gift... He also gave us the boundaries within which this powerful gift is to be expressed. And the boundary is marriage. And in marriage, within that boundary of marriage, the expression of sexuality between a husband and a wife is a very, 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 not to be neglected, very, very, very important part of the intimacy and the fulfillment of that marriage relationship. Very, very important. And the Bible teaches that too. 
Now, here's a question that comes out of this. Was God being unrealistic and was God being mean when he gave only one boundary for sexual intimacy and when he called upon us all to manage the power of our sexuality, our sex drives, in, outside of that boundary? Was God being mean? Was he being unrealistic with this powerful gift that he put inside of us that surges? Well, no, I don't think God was being mean at all. Uh, Because sex is like anything else that is extremely powerful. It can be a great, great thing, or it can kill us. For instance, sex without boundaries is like a fire without any boundaries. And so what is a very, very wonderful thing on a cold night? We'll be going into the fall here pretty soon. If you have a fire pit at home, go out there and set a fire. Get up close to the fire. Or a fireplace or a furnace. When when the fire is contained inside the boundaries, inside the fireplace and the furnace, then it's beautiful. But we all know what happens when when a fire gets outside the boundaries. It can... It can burn the house down. It can kill us. And it can kill others with us. So, without getting into the list of the damage and the destruction that sex can do to us and to others when it's burning outside of the boundaries, we can just say this, that it injures lives, it injures families, it injures societies. And and societies can fall apart. Our lives can fall apart. So, when we're not living, and here's the point I want to make, when we're not living within the boundary of marriage, God says we are called to manage and control our sexual desire. That's what Jesus did. In fact, the truth, it's also true that when we're living within the boundary of marriage, we still have to control our sexual desire so that we are faithful to the marriage. This is something we're all called to do. Jesus never acted on those sexual desires. He never had sex once in his 33 years. And yet, that did not detract one ounce from Jesus Christ being the most totally fulfilled human being who has ever walked the face of the earth. He came, Jesus came to show us that our core identity, the glue that really holds us together and gives us fulfillment in life, is far, far deeper than our sexuality or any of those other deep desires and drives that we had on the list here a few moments ago. And so what is that core identity that Jesus points us to? What is it? Well, it, it, he points us all the way back to our creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, says this. It says, God created mankind. God created humanity in his own image, in his own likeness. And then it repeats it. So in the image, the likeness of God, God created both male and female. So the scripture is saying we we are made in God's image, in God's likeness. What that's saying is, that 
when God created us, he gave us the same core identity that he has. I think that's amazing. The same, when you look at the bottom of the iceberg of the infinite nature of God, and whatever you find is there, God took that and he put that at the, at the core of the, that deep iceberg in our lives. We're made in his likeness, in his image. Now, so what is, what is God's core identity? If we were to take and apply this iceberg picture to God, what would we see at the very, very bottom? Well, along with all his power and wisdom and creativeness and his holiness and his sinlessness and his being eternal, all those great qualities of God, here's what the Scripture says is at the very core of who he is. 1 John 4, 8. It says God is what? God is love. God is love. And what that's telling us is that at the very center of who God is, the thing that defines him more than any other thing is relationships. He is a relational God. He's all about relationships. He's all about love. What does that mean? Well, a person of love is someone that you feel totally safe with. A person of love is someone that you can trust and you trust them so much you know they will never betray you. A person of love is someone that you could, you could sit down with across a cup of coffee and you could pour your heart out. You could tell them the deepest, darkest secrets of your life and that person won't reject you. That person's with you. That person's your cheerleader. They become your fan. Uh, a person who loves you is someone who will always listen, who will understand. A person who loves you they will incarnate themselves in your world just like Jesus incarnated himself in our messed up world. Why? Because God so loved the world. He so loved you and me that he gave, he sacrificed his one and only son. He sacrificed himself so that he could lift our lives up and redeem us. That is what is the core of God and that's, what he, that's how he created us to be filled with that kind of a consuming, caring, outpouring kind of love that values every other person. And I want to tell you this morning, the scripture says it, if you want to see your life transformed, if you want to become a a person who truly is changed, if you want to find freedom in life, let the love of God melt your heart. Let his love fill you from top to bottom, above the, above the surface and all the way below. That'll change your life. It'll change your heart. Why? Because then we begin to see everything like Jesus sees everything. There's no greater contentment. There's no greater fulfillment than to live life seeing things like God sees, sees things. He sees them because of his love. That's, how he, that's what he's called us to be. You know, this, uh, this thought, was, I, it, it pressed itself upon me just a week ago. Labor Day evening. Uh, my grandson, Devin, he just, st- uh, just one second. He just started college. He's been in college a week now. And my thought started going back to the first, man, when I left home and I went to college, I'll tell you what, my first, my first semester, man, I was somewhat of a basket case emotionally. I mean, maybe I'm over 
dramatizing that a little bit, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I went to class, okay? But, uh, but I'm, all I'm saying is, and I hope there's other people who can identify here, what happens? I was, I was totally emotionally dislocated. Everybody back home and the high school, they all knew me. They knew I loved baseball. They knew this about Jim Nichols and this and this and this. And my parents knew that. And all the people at the church knew this, Jim Nichols. Well, I went to a place where nobody at all knew me from anything. And it made me feel sort of like I'm a zero here. Nobody knows me. I have to reinvent my whole life again. And it, I tell you what, it threw me into some loneliness and homesickness. And it threw me into a little bit of depression and all kinds of stuff. And I think it's pretty normal that that happens. Uh, so I took Devin up there the other night, and, uh, and all these thoughts and memories were rolling through my mind about you know, just a few years ago when I was in college. And then, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, and here's what happened to me. I dropped Devin off in that dorm room. It was a typical college dorm room. <laughs> A typical guy's college dorm room. <laughs> okay. I'm not even going to go into the details of what I saw in there. But anyway, uh, they seemed to really like it, you know. And uh, so anyway, but I walked out of that room, and all of a sudden, I just had this wave of love sweep across me. I'm a granddad. I had this wave of love for Devin just hit me so hard. Now, I'll tell you something. I love all my grandkids. I love all my kids. I, I love this church family. I wouldn't trade, I would not trade that joy. I wouldn't trade that kind of depth for anything else in this world. Compared to that kind of depth, everything else in this world is shallow. God created us in his image to be people transformed by his love, gripping our hearts so that we value every human being that we make. We are not hard-hearted. We are not calloused. We are not indifferent. We are people that show his love. Now, so that's how he made us. But then we might ask the question, what happened? <laughs> okay, what happened? We were made in his image. That was to be normal human life. What on earth happened? Well, our first parents, they turned away from God. And they traded his image for images of their own making. And this has passed right on down the family tree to every single one of us. And so the whole human family is struggling, trying to live with a self-image other than the likeness of God, other than God's self-image, which he stamped upon us. And here's what's happening. We are failing. We are miserable. We are abusive. We are depressed. We are wandering further and further and further away into lostness and confusion as a result. And that's why Jesus came into the world. And that's why we need to turn and run to Jesus Christ. He came to restore us. He came to change us inside, way down deep at the core. And when we receive him as our Savior, he enters into the very core of our life. And here's what happens. Here's what transforms us. He shares with us the same love 
that he has had for God the Father for all of eternity. He takes his own love and gives that love to us so that we can begin to love with God's love. You know what? We might say, when I gave that description of how we were created to love, we might say, that's way above my head. I could, I could, never, even, I could never begin to muster that kind of love up for people. I don't, I, I'd be honest, I don't love people. We might say, I don't, I don't have those feelings of love for people. I don't. So what, how, can that, how can we... Well, that's why we need Christ. Christ comes in, and we can begin to love like he loves because he, he takes his love and makes it ours. That's what transforms us. So let Jesus Christ melt your heart with his love. Truly melt your heart with his love, and you will not be the same again. Your life will change. And, you will cha- and you'll be an instrument of change in the lives of others for his glory. You, wanna, you want some glue that will hold your life together, that will bear the weight of the stresses and the pains and the, and the sorrows that come our way. Only the love of Christ in our hearts. There, that's the only glue that can do that. And so it's my prayer this morning that if you're, if you're here maybe for the first time today, or maybe you're a guest, maybe, or maybe you've been here many times, and you know, you're still searching this whole Christian thing out, uh, still have questions about God and who he is or what Christianity is all about, well, my encouragement this morning is this, that I, first of all, thank you for, for being honest in your search, but I just want to encourage you to consider Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to take the step to invite him into your life. He's more than ready to respond, and he will respond. Faith in Christ is not this blind leap out into the dark somewhere. I hope it's true. No, when we place our faith in Christ, he responds to us down at the core, down at the deepest part of who we are, and he begins this transformation. And that becomes prime evidence that Christianity is real. This is not just a a fairy tale we're talking about here today. It is really the answer to the dilemma that faces all humanity, and Jesus Christ came to provide it. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and life to the full. Now, you, maybe there's someone here that says, I've broken all those boundaries that you were talking about a minute ago, or I've broken some of those boundaries. Hey, you know what? You're in good company <laughs> because every single one of us has broken some of the boundaries of God. We all have. Maybe you, you may be saying, well, I broke some of those sexual boundaries. Is it too late for me? Can God forgive me? No. Here's, you know what God's posture toward us is? His posture always toward us is, you know, it's like this. Again, I, I do that with my grandkids. I hold out my arms like this. Hey, you know, they don't think I'm a very good hugger, but once in a while I do hug, so I hold my arms out like this. That's, what, that's God's posture toward you. If you've broken any boundary, I don't care what the boundary is. I don't care if you've broken all the boundaries 20,000 times. His love hasn't been exhausted for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants, he's, he's saying, come to me. Receive me, and I'll put that kind of love in you. And we can change the world together. That's next week's sermon. If you're a Christ follower today, here's our, here's our challenge. Have we allowed our hearts to get hard? Have we allowed our hearts to sort of drift? If that's the case, 
let's come right back to the fireplace here. Let, let's circle up close around Christ so that his, his, that love inside of us can be fanned into a fervent flame. There's nothing our world needs more than a, a band and a company of Christ followers that really, really love God and really, really love others. That's our calling as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care about us. Lord, it is our desire to surrender our lives to you, to serve you, to be yours, Lord, to walk with you. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this gathering this morning. I thank you for every precious person that is in this room. Lord, I pray that you'll just touch us all down to the very depths of our being and transform us by the transformation, transforming power of your love. And Lord, we're going to give you praise and thanks. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.